If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, you've come to the right place. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode. This is actually part two of a, uh, an episode that we did last week with Eric Edmeets. You are going to love him. And if you missed it, just hit the pause button, go back, listen to last week's, and then jump on back over here to listen to part two. So without further ado, we're just going to dive back into it with Mr. Eric Edmeets. You're driving along late at night in the car, going a little faster than you should have been. And then suddenly there's red and blue lights in your mirror. Boom, 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 boom. And your body starts producing adrenaline, cortisol, all that stuff, which reduces your intelligence, which reduces your empathy. And that's the state of mind you're in when the police who's got the gun walks up and talks to you. In. That's not safe. It's not the best. Right. It's not the best. So what we have to do is recognizing that, recognize that we have this paleolithic body that's living in this Neolithic age. And that's not just a food comment, it's an everything comment. And so when I get that summons on my desk, what I need to look is go, oh, I'm in the wrong mode right now. So I'm gonna put this down and get myself into the right mode. I'm gonna go do some breathing exercise. I'm gonna go for a walk in nature. I'm gonna to go to the gym and hit the heavy bag for a little while. I'm gonna do whatever it takes for me to burn all these chemicals out. Then I'm gonna come and read this fresh. And when I read it fresh, I'm gonna look at it and go, I know how to solve this right now because I still have my intelligence. Ah, yes. That's so brilliant because you're right. Most people, um, most people, are not going to be in a position where they're facing down um, prides <laughs> of lions and tigers and bears, right? So, but but in our in our lifestyle, um, they they show up in other forms to yeah. people, and so the response is still the same. But it's an unnecessary response. So, to your point, you really have to be aware of it, recognize it, and then be willing to disrupt it right? So that you can deal with whatever the scary thing is yeah, in an intelligent, emotionally stable manner. Interesting. So interesting. Um, and okay. Maury, it, it frankly gives us the opportunity to create fantastic lives because, you know, look, when you take an animal from nature and you put it in a zoo, they always die faster. They, they just do. They don't you know. Now, every now and again, with species that are quite adaptable, they've been able to create the perfect scenario for them. And in, in theory, an animal should be able to be put into a wildlife enclosure where they've removed all the predators and sex competition, all that stuff. In theory, that animal should actually live longer in captivity than in nature, in theory. In practice, mostly that doesn't happen. But I think for us, it can. And, and what I mean by that is that right now we all live in captivity. We all basically live in captivity. We're fed by other people. We're, our, our schedules are provided by other people. We are told where we can travel and when we can travel worse now than ever before. We, we live in captivity. And, and so, but we have the opportunity now to bring the consciousness of what our bodies really want to the, to the benefits of this incredibly safe and technologically amazing age. So as you said before, people should stop trying to make everything so comfortable. I would say I'm totally, you know what? I've got my house set up that the lights turn on and off as I walk in and out of the room. I like it. I like that. I totally like that. But at the same yeah. time, I make sure that my life provides me with challenge with challenge. Yes. So I've climbed Kilimanjaro seven times. I, I start businesses. I, I, I take on things that are bigger than me. And, and so I'm, I, what I think is that if we can come to terms with this and we can bring our consciousness to this understanding of the evolution gap and close it, then everything is different. And one more thing, just, just an example of how pervasive this is. Wisdom teeth. 
Like, what's the deal there? Like, I'm an anti-surgery guy, unless it's trauma and you got to still sit me back up. I mean, doctors have yeah. saved my life a few times. So I'm, I'm all, sure. but I don't want yeah. elective surgery. I, you know, I just, not really my thing, but then my teeth are coming in. So what am I going to do? They're coming in sideways and doctor says we have to cut them out and I have to have surgery. And I'm like, what are, is God stupid? Is Darwin wrong? Like, why do I have these things? Somebody messed up. So I started right. doing a bunch of research. And, and I found out some really fascinating things. One thing I found out is that one third of adults are missing teeth in the front of their mouth today, just from sports or from accidents or from right. one third, about one third of people are missing a tooth in the front. And then they of course go to the dentist and they have it fit with an implant or whatever. That's one thing. I yeah. Another thing that I learned is that men are twice as likely to have their teeth knocked out as women are because men are, that makes sense. I, you could either say more adventurous or stupid. I know a little bit of both, maybe a little bit of both. Um, and then uh, yeah, don't agree. And then, uh, and then I also learned that um, only about uh, two thirds of people even get wisdom teeth. About one third of people never have them ever. And of the two thirds that do get them, they can grow anywhere from one to six of them. It's not four. It's not necessarily four. So what I start up looking with that. At this is what's up with it is that up until a hundred years ago, when you knocked out one of your teeth, what would happen is, is that the wisdom teeth would respace your mouth. And so oh. if you knocked out that tooth, those tooth would respace and the wisdom teeth okay. would have somewhere to go. The evolution gap gets created when we bring technology. The technology we brought, which first developed about 400 years ago, but wasn't really popularized until about hundred years ago is dentures. So when I knocked this tooth out of my mouth, I did. And I sometimes would forget to put my little denture thing in. And when I woke up in the morning, it would be really hard to put it back in again because the teeth were respacing, right? Ah. So your wisdom teeth are not wisdom teeth. They're spare teeth. They're designed there. And I believe, and this is theoretical at this point, but since there seems to be a direct relationship between trauma and adverse wisdom teeth outcomes, I think that wisdom teeth are triggered by facial trauma. Somebody punches you, you hit a soccer ball, hits your head. It tells your body you're going to need these wisdom teeth and then they grow. But, but this may seem all very con, you know, off, off topic, but here's why I'm saying it. The evolution gap exists all around us. And the reason that we have this problem with wisdom teeth is that we choose technology and we choose to put a denture in and now the teeth have nowhere to go. Once you understand that, you can happily walk into the dentist's office and say, please cut them out without feeling that, you're, that something's wrong. Like you now know that yeah. you're just closing the gap. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Well, I guess they're appropriately named wisdom teeth then. I mean, it, they're well, <laughs> it's wise kind teeth. of a wise thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, it's funny though, you say that, um, you say what, you know, God, did you make a mistake? I mean, what, why do we have these things? And I literally have the same conversation about the sun and, and, you know, people's fear of spending a minute in the sun without being coated from head to toe with sunscreen and which, which I don't believe in. And I'm like, I just can't believe that our creator completely covered us in all of this skin, which we absolutely should never expose to the sun. It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, I get that there are boundaries and there are things within reason, depending on, you know, especially the color of your skin. We have different sensitivities, but to be so fearful of the sun and think that somehow there was a mistake made and we have to be, you know, like beekeepers every time we walk out the door so that we don't get skin cancer is nuts to me. It just, 
It doesn't it, make it sense. It really is. And in fact, that's another really good example of the evolution gap. You see, people that were born um, equatorially, uh, genetically, genetically equatorially, they are the darkest human beings on earth. And that's because their body has produced enough melanin to block the sun's rays because they get plenty. And then as they migrated over human history, as they migrated north or south away from the equator, their skin starts evolving and lighter and lighter. And it's not, it's not like it, it, it evolves lighter and lighter for a very good reason. And that is that the sun is actually really important to your health. And so the reason your skin has to get lighter and lighter is to allow more of the sun in. So as people moved all the way down to South Africa, the people that were living in South Africa when the Europeans first arrived there were, were like almost yellow in color, very pale in color. And then as people mm. went north into Southern Europe and then Northern Europe, and then they got up into like Finland where people are basically translucent, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> the reason that they're evolving that lighter and lighter and lighter skin and hair and eye color is to let more of the sun's rays in. This should be a clue that the sun is imperative. That is not the gap though. The gap is when we then use technology to move to a part of the planet that doesn't match our skin color. That's the gap. Mm -hmm. So if you take somebody from Nigeria and you fly them to Estonia, they are very likely going to suffer significant health consequences because there's just not enough sun there to get through their very dark skin. But equally, wow. if I take somebody from Estonia and I send them down to Central Africa and put them out in the sun without shelter, they are going to burn to a crisp and maybe they will even develop skin cancer. Because mm -hmm. the sun is not dangerous, the sun is matched to your genetic upbringing. Now, Australia, for example, is an interesting case where you have all these Europeans that move to a country that has sun nine, nine times more often. And so I do think that if you've got pale skin like that, you do need to be careful about the sun. But even careful. the Hadza Bushmen are careful about the sun. They, when it gets to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning and it starts getting hot, they go sit under a tree and they're black. They, 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 even they are sheltering from the sun. And, and I often say this, this is just like, if the sun did suddenly magically turn vicious in 1962, you know, so it became dangerous, um, then, mm -hmm. then why is it that the elephants and the rhinos aren't all getting skin cancer all over the place? Why is it just us? It, don't, it only became dangerous for sapiens? Only us. We're, we're the odd man out. <laughs> I guess. I, yeah, it's a, it's a head scratcher, right? I, I, I don't know. We just sell a lot of sunscreen, but anyway. Okay. So do you have time to tell me a little bit about the Hadza? And Absolutely. what you, what can I tell you? What, like, I'm so curious. Um, I'm just so curious about like, what, what compelled you to go and seek them out and hang out with them. And what did you learn? What did you learn like on a personal level that you brought back that is, you know, had a, an impact on your life. And then is that, is it something different than maybe something that you learned that you've been able to share with your students or clients? Yeah, no, yeah, my time with the Hadza has completely transformed my life and it has influenced and uh, the development of WildFit and our nutritional principles and, and other things dramatically. There's, there's very few other things in my life that have had a bigger impact on forming me as a person. And, and I, I want to be really clear that I don't, I don't overly romanticize the idea of the Hadza suggesting that they are the perfect representation of our ancestral history. But I mm -hmm. think it is absolutely fair to say that they are the closest representation that we have of that today. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, they've, they've, they've impacted me in a very big way. Um, the first thing is, is that obviously when I went to visit them initially, I was really curious about the nutritional aspects of visiting them. 10 years ago was the first time I went to visit them. And I was okay. very curious about the way they ate, the way they hunted, the way they, you know, gathered, what did they eat, you know, and, and what, what, what was a daily, what was a normal day or week or month like for them? 
And that really woke me up to a lot of things. Um, it, 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 it was fascinating to watch the way they deal with hunting, to watch the way they deal with gathering and, and, and so on. And yeah. their, their relationship with nature, their relationship with the seasonality of nature, very, very interesting to watch that. Um, and, uh, but then equally, their social structures are really fascinating as well. Um, the way they parent, I think, is vastly, um, well, I think that we could all learn from it is what I'm trying to say, is that you know, they, they, they don't really regard their children as um, children. They regard them as small, slightly less capable adults, which means that they only help them when the help is actually necessary. But in any other way, they let them be. And, and this is a shocking example, and many parents will probably be triggered by what I'm about to say, and it is what it is. I was sitting one day by the fire and I saw this child of about two years old, you know, kind of walking toward the fire and playing with stuff. And there, a conversation took place and I got my guide to translate for me. They were asking, oh, has, has this baby ever been burnt in the fire before? No. Oh, that sucks. Why does it suck? Because they're going to do it now. And they can see that the baby is going to go and play with the hot rocks and it's going to burn their hands, but nobody stops it. Nobody, nobody tries to stop the baby. And I have to fight every impulse to not get involved because yeah. I just want to go scoop the baby up and stop it. Of course I do. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. And the baby goes over, you know, ah, and the baby cries. And I'm like, this was all preventable. And then, and then of course the chief, I talked to the chief, but he goes, Eric, this baby has to live with the fire every day for the rest of its life. It better learn this now. And, you know, and, and, and there are some things that just can't be explained to you. They have to be experienced. And it's not like they were allowing it to, now we live in a, a more dangerous society. We, our, we can't just let our child go find out not to play in traffic. We, we, we can't, we can't just let our child figure out not to stick stuff in the power sockets. We do have to be more protective, but I think that we've taken that too far and watching them with their children um, has really, you know, uh, empowered me, I think, to become uh, a more effective parent. Mm -hmm. Do they, um, is it kind of like a, it takes a village sort of mentality? Do they all parent each other's? I mean, Very much. You can the child there. of the village. Yeah, you can sit there and, and see a child and I challenge you to try to figure out who the parents are. Now, if it's nursing, that's going to be a bit of a giveaway. Although apparently they'll, they'll, they'll help with nursing. They'll, they'll cross that over as well, which is perfectly natural. We, we have our judgments about that, but it's perfectly natural. Yeah. But once the child is past the nursing age or isn't actively nursing at the moment, I challenge you to figure out who the parents are. Once you know it, you'll see it. But prior to that, they're being raised by the village. And, and it's beautiful to watch. In fact, I even choose to live where I live because I live on a beach that has a bunch of families that have children ranging from you know babies to their teens. And these children are like a pack together. They all run around here and they're all being basically parented by all of us. And, and, mm -hmm. I, I, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I think this is really valuable. See, one of the biggest determinants of somebody's like success and happiness in life is going to be the skills that they develop in getting what they want, right? Like it, the more effective they are at getting what they want, the, the, the more fulfilling a life they're gonna be able to create for themselves. And the challenge we have today is that there are many children that are growing up with a single parent or a pair of parents. And those, those are their primary interactions. And so they're learning to get what they want. But the trouble is, is that most parents don't understand that by making it easy for their kids to get what they want, they're not teaching their children any skills. So, so yeah. in other words, this child is learning, this is how I get what I want from my mommy. And this is how I get what I want from my daddy. And they're both my parents. So they tend to give it up pretty easily. That child is up for a hugely rude awakening when it deals with parents that are, or adults that are not theirs, right? Huge awakening. Yeah. When I grew up, my parents had these very intellectual hippie social worker friends of hers that, that would hang around at the house all the time. And they treated me like an adult from the get go. But in, that meant that in order to get what I wanted, in order to have a conversation, I had to figure out the different dynamics of all of them. 
of all of them individually. And, and it became, it, it, it was kind of like this project. Oh, wow, with this guy, it does this way and this way. So our kids growing up now, my, my daughter grows up in a place now where she's at this person's house and that person's house. And we all kind of raise as a village. Guess what? The children are all learning different parenting stuff. Ah, one child. One child is play fighting with my daughter and he's male and, and two years bigger, which is a big deal at five, right? Or four, she was. Yeah. They're play fighting and he just, I don't know what got into him, but he gave her a backhand through the face just and knocked her down. And she was a trooper. Like she, I expected the tears and all this kind of, she kind of got up to her. She was so shocked, right? But as a parent, what I wanted to do is strangle the older child like immediately. <laughs> right. Of course, I didn't do that, you know, hence not being in prison at all. But, but what I did do is I went to the child and I go, hey, you know, you're a lot bigger than she is. And I think you need to think about your play fighting a little differently. And he kind of gave me this attitude. And I go, well, how about you and I play fight a little? And he goes, okay. And he throws a couple of punches at me and he hits me pretty damn hard. So I hit him back. I just, I didn't hit him hard. I just hit him back on the arm and he, oh, and he went like that. And I go, you want to know something? You hit me as hard as you could. I just hit you a tiny little bit of what I can. And he goes, what? And I go, go grab that thing. And he grabs this big, like uh, um, floating, uh, you know, floaty uh, pool toy. I said, hold that, mm -hmm. hold that and stand here on the grass. And he goes, why? And I go, cause I'm going to hit it. And he goes, okay. And I just give it a, 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 a moderate hit and it knocks him over. And I go, do you, do you understand that you're like that for Zoe? And he's like, I totally get it. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> But, you know, like I never hurt him. I didn't frighten him. I didn't do anything, but I was yeah. firm and, and provided discipline and, 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 and discipline that might've been harder for a parent to conceptualize. Right. Sure, so sure. I, well, I've in context. Watched... Exactly. Exactly. So I, I do think that that the raised by the village thing is one of the, uh, it's one of the things, again, part of the evolution gap that we are all missing out on at the moment. We, we, we are yeah. forcing parents into this horrible situation where they are completely responsible for raising their children up until finally at five, they can send them off to school. And, and that's no kind of raising of children either. Yeah. Yeah. No, you. I, I think you're so right. We were fortunate enough when I was young to live in a neighborhood where it was all young parents. And we were those, yeah, the, the kids that were running around in, in groups that everybody's, you know, playing in the alleys, playing in the streets, playing at everybody's house. And everybody was keeping an eye on everybody. And um, it was that kind of a neighborhood. Yeah. And then, you know, because we were just right outside a city that we we're on the outskirts of a city. And then, you know, you move, you grow up, you move out to suburbs, there's more space. You don't have that kind of connected, you know, neighborhood vibe that, um, yeah. that you get when you're in certain pockets of, of the city or the country, whatever. But, and it is, um, it's, there's, there's nice things about that, but um, there are, you give up some things that are really important, especially if you're raising kids, for sure. Yeah. So, all right, I know that we are, we're, we're going long here. I want to ask you, um, do you have a going rogue story for me that's different than any of the yeah, you've already I, shared? Yeah, I, I have a couple, um, and, and I think that I, I'm going to give you maybe the most shocking one and 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 basically what happened is that my my parents split up when i was young and they moved to opposite ends of the country basically and and we're from canada so when we say opposite end, it's a big that's a big opposite end right mm, yeah and um and so i uh, i went to go live with my father but he was only very recently sober and which made him not a, a particularly good father and and frankly i wasn't a particularly good teenager um and uh so we we had a variety of battles and the end result of those battles was that he sent me off to boarding school. And I went to an incredibly intense boarding school 
uh, our winter programs were at the age of 13 years old to snowshoe 26 miles in minus 30 degree weather. Like it was a, we may as well have been at the harshest military school you can imagine. Our graduation trip that year was a 900 mile canoe trip through the most Northern parts of Canada uh, with 86 portages of war canoes. And we're all kids. Like it was a, it was a very intense school. They also allowed corporal punishment at the school. Like it was a very intense school. Wow. So I went to the school for um, first for two years and then I was going back for my third year and I went for the first half of that third year. And the school was going through some stuff at that stage, just some weird transition things and they weren't managing the school particularly well in my opinion. And I didn't wanna be there anymore. I didn't like it. I felt there was things going on that were abusive that weren't correct. And um, I went home and I told my, and my and he had just enrolled my, my brother who was two years younger, who had just, who was now in grade eight as I was going into grade 10. And at Christmas that year, I got home and I said, look, I'm not going back. And he goes, yeah, you are. I go, no, I'm not. Now you have to think I'm 15 years old. So, you know, like most 15 year olds don't have it in them to stand up to their parents like that. And I just said, I'm not going back. And he goes, yes, you are. And I go, no, look, like I'm really not. Like we can go in the car now and we can go take Nick back, but I'm not getting on the bus under any circumstances. I mean, unless you're planning on like literally grabbing me and trying to lift me. And I'm, I don't think that's going to go well for either of us. So, I, you know, it's not going to happen. So anyway, we do, we take my brother off to school and I, uh, and I don't go and we get home and my dad says, you're not welcome to live here anymore with me. And so I walked out the door and this was my road move. Um, it was his attempt, wow. to, uh, his attempt to basically force me. I don't know if you've ever seen something like where people take away a bunch of your freedoms in order to compel certain types of behavior. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that, but that's you know, basically. I, yeah. <laughs> never, never seen that. So. <laughs> I guess if I think really hard, <laughs> maybe, maybe you could think of an example, maybe, but he tried that. And I just said, no. And I walked out and I, I, I was literally homeless and it was Edmonton, Alberta midwinter. So that's not the ideal time. Oh my gosh. Um, but I actually, I would now argue that it is the ideal time to be homeless because if it was midsummer, it would have been warm enough for me to sleep on a park bench somewhere. And within a week of that, I would have started smelling homeless and looking homeless. And I would have become one of those throwaway kids, you know? But right. because it was minus 30, I couldn't do that. I ended up trying to figure out ways to couch surf with people. And then I negotiated a kick-ass deal with the local video arcade. Uh, the guy who managed the video arcade was, was, you know, his son was a friend of mine. And I walked up to him one day and I said, you look really tired. And he goes, I am. And I go, I think you're tired because you're opening the shop at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning. You're staying here and closing it till three. Why don't you let me open it? And, and then I'll close it for you at night. And you just, you know, you can just do the middle hours. And he goes, I'm not, I don't, I'm not hiring anybody. And I go, I'm not looking for a job. I'm offering to do this for you if you let me sleep in here at night. There was a couch. And because he had no problem violating the child labor laws, he said yes, and I cut, I cut the deal. And well, then, look at you, little entrepreneur, already <laughs> at 15. I was working on it. So then yeah. my dad shows up, and uh, you know he, he's looking for me. And he, he says that, I, and I didn't know this, I, I qualified for a $2,000 scholar, leadership scholarship at the school that year, which meant my tuition was reduced by $2,000, which was... Back then, tuition must have been, say, 10 grand. So it was a 20% reduction. And it was, I don't even think, I think it was even higher than that. But he offered me the two grand. He goes, just go back to the school. I'll give you the $2,000 in cash. I'll give you 500 in cash right now and 1500 in June when the school year ends. Now, I want you, Laura, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is 1985. What is $2,000, okay. $1,985 like? Is that $20,000 yeah, today? I, I feel like it would be. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, a, it's lot. a lot to say no to, but I did. I said, no, I just said, no, I stood on, this was the next road move. I just said, no, I turned down $500 in cash 
which was probably equivalent to 5,000 today. I turned down $1,500 as a graduation present, which was 15. I mean, it, it, this was a life-changing amount of money, but I, I just, no. And, um, and, and then I, uh, um, after about two or three months, I went back to my dad and I said, like, you know, I get what you've tried to do here, but it didn't work. And now you're going to ruin my entire school year because I can't register myself for a school without a parental signature. And you're not, and I have to have a place to live to do that. So he, uh, he basically assisted me in getting into school, but that was the end of it. I finished that year on my own. Um, you know, I, I just, it was, it was one of the toughest things I ever did, but also one of the greatest moves of my life to create a real sense of independence in my life. And that I'd say that was the big road. That was the big road move. And I'm super grateful that I did it. I, I, I know that it was the right thing for me to do. I, I'm, st I'm, I'm still, in, I still have incredibly fond feelings for my old school. I'm part of the alumni group. I talked to a lot of the old students, but it, it, we get it. Like the, that time was a really tough time at the school. It was the right thing for me to do. And it taught me um, yeah. real self-reliance. I, I, nobody yeah. was taking care of me other than me during that time. I had to figure it out. And I, I think that's the the clearly the big value of that. That's that's why I love having guests share these stories because right there, that is such a key thing that I think is missing from so much teaching of our younger people these days is any sort of real true independence, real true self-reliance. Um be, people being able to to come up against something that forces them to develop some resiliency and to have to figure things out, like yeah. really figure out how to take care of yourself. Yeah. Great story. One thing I think I that we're it. missing, Thank you. and I, I do think that we're missing as parents, um, is, you know, I, I was sort of a, um, you know, affectionately adopted into a Jewish family when I was about 18 years old. Like I, and I'm not legally adopted, but they just sort of took me in and I, 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 um, I, I spent, uh, they, they, it was kind of an interesting, my girlfriend was their nanny, but I was like really good at controlling the kids. So even after she left, they'd still call me and say, take the kids to the game. And I just became part of the family. And, um, and so as a consequence yeah. of that, I got to watch their children go through their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah processes. And I, I became jealous. I was like, we are missing rites of passage. And those rites of passage are yeah. vitally important. And 13 years old is the right age for that. And so in a very real sense, by going to that school, by going through the things I did, by making the decision to leave, that was my rite of passage. That was my coming into being an adult, stepping into manhood. And I, well, I would say we mm -hmm. should all be looking to provide our children with those rites of passage. The easier you make your child's life, the harder their life is going to be. I know. And it brings us back around to what we're saying. When you make things so comfortable, whether it's for your kids or yourself, you literally make you weaken you you almost weaken yourself you and yeah. you make the weak weaker when you continue to do things for people and to make things so easy and so comfortable so yeah you really have to find that that line between building someone up and the, and just making the weak weaker it, yeah absolutely it's, it's it can be done though. I mean, it can be done, but it's, it's not all, we don't do people any favors by always making things just so like, you don't have to put in any effort when we just hand people things. Um, we're not really doing them any favors you know, at all. It's cruel. Jordan Peterson, um, in his book, which I haven't read, I, I, I probably should one of these days, but um, I haven't read it, but the I do 12, know one of the rules yeah. in his 12 rules. Don't let your yeah, children do things that you wouldn't like, right? And when I first read that, when I first saw that, I thought that is awfully domineering and controlling. I just thought that, you know, what exactly do you mean by that? But now 
as I've stepped in, I've raised one child who's 24 and I have a five-year-old. So I've got a perspective that most people, and I've raised one fully and started again. It's an interesting yeah. perspective. And yeah. now I really yeah. realize that what he's really saying is, is that if you reward behaviors that are not socially acceptable, then your children are learning those socially, those, those behaviors and those behaviors will govern their lifestyle. So if you reward temper tantrums, you are breeding somebody yeah. who is going to have a temper tantrum at United Airlines when they won't give them the upgrade they want. Like if you see somebody having a temper yes. tantrum at the flight agent, it's because their parents rewarded temper tantrums. So, sort of. I mean, I, I'm not saying in every case, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really clear with that with Zoe. Zoe can be asking me for something that I want to give her, but if she uses a whiny voice for it, no, it's not happening. That's mm -hmm. no, that's because that's not how you're ever going to get a pay rise. That's not, you're never going to go to a bunch of VCs and go, I really want you to lend me the money. Please invest in my, it's not going to work. So why, if I let it work on me now, I'm, I'm, I'm demonstrating that it's a successful strategy. It isn't. No, it's not. And you literally are then setting them up to be shunned. Yeah. You're, when you raise little, when you raise young people that expect to have things handed to them, expect to get their way, or and, and they use the tactics that they did as children, for example, temper tantrums or whatever, uh, dividing and conquering the parents, they're really good at that. They're clever little buggers. And, you know, but then they grow up and they get into school and they're misbehaving. They have, you know, bad habits and, um, and unlikable characteristics. And then nobody wants to hang out with them. That's yeah. not a good thing. You know, people shun them. And that is probably one of the worst things a human being can experience is to Absolutely. be sh shunned, right, by their tribe or the community or the whoever. Uh, so it's not a good idea. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's not easy as a parent because you just, you want, you just want to make it easy. You know, it's, it's, you're, but it's Lori, like when I you wanted to. Offer... You, I want to offer a thought about that because we, yeah. we, 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 as parents, we kind of lean on this. Oh, I just want to make it easy. The truth is often it's just about making it easy for us. Right. You know, yes. That, that's the real thing. So, you know, you're, you're in the grocery store and the child is freaking out because they want the Kellogg's cornflakes with the star Wars toy in it. And in the end, you don't give in to make it easy for the child. You give in to stop the pester power. You give in to, to, to save yourself from the whining, yeah. you know, and <laughs> yes, I, I was, I was on the beach with uh, Zoe when she was about two years old and she loves anything that moves. If it's a cockroach, a crab, a dog, if it, and frankly, if it's a BB-8 robot, she just, if it moves, she loves it. So, so I took her down on the beach and she's out there visiting with the dogs and this dog jumps up and it bites her. And it bites her quite hard, not enough to break the skin, but enough to frighten her quite seriously. And she's screaming and crying. And I run over and I grab her. I look at the hand, she didn't, it didn't break the skin, but I still want to take it in and wash it, make sure everything's okay and so on. But now I'm in this really tough situation that all I want to do is end her pain and suffering. So mm -hmm. what a lot of parents would do at this point is they'd haul out the ice cream. Yeah. Distract they'd them from the, the pain. ice cream or the right. jello or the cookie or the whatever to distract away from the pain. And they, they, they would, they would do it in the, in the, in the belief that they were doing it for the child. But the truth is they're doing it for themselves because they're feeling the child's pain. And I get that, but what yeah. they're going to do is create a relationship between pain relief and ice cream. That's going to cause that person to eat a bowl of ice cream every time they have a hard day at work. So we have to watch yeah. that. So instead I have to sit there and not take those shortcuts. I have to let her yeah. expel the emotion. What have you, but then I think about something else. I'm like, I do not want to raise a little girl who's phobic of dogs. I don't, I don't want that. And I know that an event like this at this age. So once she's like settled down with the crying and we've talked a little bit, 
I immediately scoop her up and I say, do you want to go up high? Up high means on my shoulder. She loves going up high. You want to go up high? Yep, up high. So we're walking it. We go back down to the beach and I systematically find every one of her favorite dogs because she's got a bunch of dogs in the community she just loves. And I systematically find each of the dogs and put her down on the ground and she plays with every single one of them. So what happens is, is that that memory could either have been a memory of dogs are terrible and ice cream solves all my problems. And then that person ends up mm. with all kinds of issues from, from one event. And instead, my little girl grew up with some dogs need to be, you need to be careful of, but generally dogs are amazing and everything else is good. Yeah. A, a much better lesson, a much better memory. Yeah. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, I think that it's so helpful. I know for me, thinking back, raising our kids who are now in their mid thirties, um, but it's one of one of the many awesome things about having the luxury of being a two parent family, because when one person is like maybe having a weak moment and wants to make something easy, the other one can kind of step in and go, nah, you know, toe the line. Um, because, you know, sometimes if you're, I feel for single parents, I mean, you know, exhaustion sets in and, and yeah. yeah, it's really easy to just go, I, I just got to get through this. What can I do to make this easy for myself? So I, I feel for people. I do, but it's man, tough. If you, and, I, and I'll tell you in the divorce yeah. world, it's really tough because you end up with, you're trying to establish a certain baseline of certain behaviors and all that kind of stuff. And on the other side, it, that stuff might not be being enforced in the same way. And yeah. it really, it really is. Um, it really is challenging. It, it, it is difficult, yeah. but I think that the core thing that I would say to any parent about that is, um, uh, uh, what I am always consistently, at, at least in my mind, I'm trying to be consistent about it is I'm looking at every single exchange that I'm having with my daughter. And I'm asking myself, what is this conversation going to do to contribute to her beliefs about the world? Not this event right mm -hmm. now, but like what, what beliefs are she, what might she create or, or, or what meanings might she assess to what happened here that are going to govern the way she, the way she moves into the world. And, and that, that means, for example, when the dog bites her, you go, what meaning might she deduce from this? Dogs are terrible. Okay, we don't want that. We don't want that. So right. we now have to. And so that, that one question helps a great deal, even if you're in the single parent situation or in the divorce, it doesn't really matter. As a parent, that's your true north. What is the meaning my child is likely to create from this interaction? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's a great question for every parent to be asking themselves when they're in that situation. I could just talk to you all day, Eric, and <laughs> I know uh, we have covered a lot of ground and I am just, I'm just delighted. I think there's so much good stuff here that people are really going to get a lot of value from. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Well, I do want to, but I'm not going to, I'm, I try not to be greedy. Um, so before I let you go, please uh, tell us where is the best place for people to find out more about you and, and your services, WildFit, whatever, let's share it. Sure, uh, on a personal basis, I manage my own Instagram account and uh, you know people can write to me. I, I do my level best to answer DMs whenever I can there to help people get the guidance that they need. It's something I started doing when the pandemic started because people just needed help. So I, mm -hmm. I'm still there and Instagram is the best way. I'm at Eric Edmeads. If somebody's looking for specific solutions, like for example, if you'd like to have a new relationship with food, then go to getwildfit.com and do the Try Wildfit program. If somebody wants to learn a little bit about business, entrepreneurship, or creating an independent income, they can go to businessfreedom.com where I teach entrepreneurship and marketing and business. And for real fun, if anybody wants to become you know, comfortable with public speaking and develop their storytelling and that kind of stuff, they can go to speakernation.com where we teach public speaking, course creation, and all that kind of stuff. 
Awesome. Awesome. And we will put all of those links in the show notes too. So those of you that are listening, don't worry if you didn't uh, get it all written down, they'll be there in the show notes for you. Uh, this has been delightful. I so appreciate your time and everything you shared. I hope you'll come back someday and you should write a book on parenting too. Maybe that's the next one after the one you're writing now, right? Well, Lori, I will tell you, I have a comedy book that I want to write about parenting and it's called, I'll give it away because I already own the domains, but it's called, uh, um, okay. uh, it's called Detachment Parenting. Why suboptimal parenting is actually optimal. I love that. <laughs> it's, awesome. it's a bit of a joke, but I, it, I do sometimes, I bought the domain, so I thought I might have to write that book for fun one day. Yeah, totally. And so when you do, um, I will read it and let's talk about that too. Sounds I'm good. sure I'm going to be seeing you again. I just have a feeling, I don't know, maybe I'll enroll in uh, Speaker Nation or something and learn how <laughs> to speak. Sounds great. But anyway, Thanks so much for having thank, me. Lauren. Thank you. And that is the wrap, everybody. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss any of the good shift being shared here and give us a rating and a review that really inspires other people to listen to everything that we've got going on. So until next week, stay feisty, my friends, stay healthy and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. And that goes for you too, Mr. Gary V. Stop slacking. <laughs>